It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it you want a podcast like it's 1999 hello and welcome to podcast like it's 1999 the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from fresh in our original packaging here in 2019 i'm one of your hosts kenny nybart and i'm phyllis gove and today we uh we have a very special guest we're very excited to welcome griffin newman hello everybody <laughs> Hi. I'm, I'm so excited to talk about this movie I don't think I can ever talk about on my own podcast. I, I, I don't think you can either. I, don't, I, I don't will say I, I feel honored that we're getting to talk about this with you. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to you know, blow smoke up your ass, but I will say that I do feel like it, it's something that you circle on your podcast so much. I relate most and, things to this movie if I can. And David has yeah. clearly no interest in talking about it. Correct. Correct. For a thousand reasons. I think it was always going to be an uphill battle and then the last of all – Made it right. Sure, that that'll put a no go. Yeah, no yeah go. that's fair. That's fair. We uh, <laughs> yeah, we're we're very excited. Griffin is obviously from the Blank Check podcast. He's also very big actor yes. right now. He's in the Tick. I'm a small actor, but yeah, small. <laughs> in stature. I, yeah. Yeah. I, the, my punctuation was a little weird on that. He's a very big actor. Period. Right now, he's in the Tick yeah, sure, on yeah, Amazon. Sure. Um, season two premiering soon. Watch season yeah. one if you haven't already. Yeah, please. Um, how are you? Are you healing from your uh, from your injury? You know, I'm a little achy today. Thank you for okay. asking. I'm a little achy today. I herniated a disc while filming a dialogue scene. <laughs> <laughs> on a superhero show. Uh, I, can re- I can relate. Relentlessly on brain. <laughs> uh, it is one of those weird things. I'm like trying to figure out whether I, I'm just going to be a, like a back person for the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You probably will be, I think. Right. And there was, a, there was a period of time where I was like, oh, I might be like a big problem back person. Like yeah. in the immediate aftermath, it was bad and then started getting worse and worse and worse and i was like am i gonna be someone who like is like a limper 
Or like, you know, it's like a thirty-year-old limper. You know, like David Milch is a back person. Sure, writes all the scripts, laying on the ground, yeah. dictating, dictating them yeah. to some assistant, yeah. and that's a, that's a really bad situation. To it's be a in. baller move, yeah. though. Just to, be, right. just to be clear. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've steered pretty clear of any uh, opioid addictions. <laughs> Pretty clear. I knew that was like a slippery slope for me. So sure, I was yeah. like, I'm just going to draw a line in the sand. I can't get into back pills. Here's a question for you. Yeah. So as, a, as obviously a, a huge superhero fan. Big fan. How quickly did your love turn to hate of your costume? It's, That's it, a good it's a, question. It's a, it's a really good question, and it's a really complicated answer. Okay. I think the things constantly coexist. Like it's a, it's a very tough show to make. Sure. And it's a very tough costume to wear. I never lose perspective of the fact that I didn't think I would have those problems ever. Sure. And I also know why I'm doing it. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, this is worth it. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, when, when the days are tough, uh, and, and uh, much of the cast and crew can attest to this because I do it out loud, I literally repeat to myself, this is your dream job, this is your dream job, this is your dream <laughs> So that's when, it, when it's, like, really accumulating. I just have to remind yeah. myself. No, I mean, I think, like, you know, if I was wearing a costume this difficult on, like, a period film, sure. you know, and it wasn't something I cared about as deeply, it, it would maybe overpower. Mm-hmm. But but I'm able to sort of work through the discomfort of it because it's like, this is crazy that I that I get to wear this. That, that cognizance, I think, is important. I think yes. in, in this industry in general. Oh, my God. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if you can't remi- just remind yourself, yourself for like, 15 years. Yeah. You yeah. got past the velvet rope. I yeah. got, I got right. in. You right. know what I mean? And, and I, I feel like I, 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 I made a profit. Like, I'm good for the rest of my life. Sure, yeah. sure. Do you know? Sure, like, sure. this is, like, so beyond what I thought. This is what I set as the insane, like, this would be great if you could play a superhero someday, ready to settle for, like, a four on that ten scale. Mm-hmm. And then I got a 10 fairly young. So I'm just like, you can't touch me now. I, I can injure my back and I'm still good, you know? Yeah. Um, but I do think, I mean, it, it is a weird thing, especially with TV. And I guess it's the same now with franchises and stuff. You, you learn how to work around the costume. Like you develop like uh, workflows mm-hmm. about how you like lay in waiting and what pieces you take sure. off. And it's constantly a dialogue of trying to get them to like make adjustments. Sure. I mean, I came into season two with like a long list of like... Sure. Very specific notes of like, I think this would help me, and I think <laughs> yeah. this looks bad. Sure. You know, because both things bug me. Like as much as it's tough wearing the thing, I also get so bugged out if I watch the show and I'm like, the straps are backwards. <laughs> you know, yeah. those little things that people like obsess over when you watch it. I'm also looking forward to when you become famous enough that you're like, I won't wear the suit anymore. Like you basically pull a Jennifer Lawrence <laughs> yeah. and you're like, I'm not doing the fucking makeup. So like if you want me on this show. Yeah. Well, that's also – I mean the, the best example of that is the Downey Jr. thing. Where sure. in terms of what they physically make him He's wear. never in that suit. Yeah. yeah and we, and uh, we re- recently yeah. rewatched the first Iron Man for uh, Blank Check Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and there is such a difference when you can tell it is a, a 42-year-old man in a physically cumbersome thing. And now it's like, you know, it goes from that to being like, okay, the helmet retracts and he only wears the upper yeah, torso. Yeah, he only wears yeah. sort of the breastplate and the shoulders yeah. to now it's like he puts on sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing he has to physically yeah. touch is a pair yeah. of sunglasses and then the CGI group yeah. goes around well, him. good for him. I mean, oh, for sure. for him. So for much sure. better than the way it used to be where, you know, Batman would keep recasting these guys and just yeah. pretending it's not that case. Yeah. yeah. I'm thrilled to have him in Homecoming in the, situ- the, the yeah. way he is, just sitting yeah. in the back of a car for – 
four scenes. I also think it's like an interesting arc. I mean, Iron Man 3 is the peak too. of this idea of like him having this sort of disassociative relationship mm-hmm. with this persona that he's created. And so now that he's at this creepy state where it's like they're drones that he's controlling from like, you know, a Del Taco or whatever <laughs> on speakerphone. I kind of like that. And it also is like that was the cool thing in the comics was that like Iron Man was always getting like sleeker and sleeker and sleeker yeah. and sleeker. Yeah. It's one example where it doesn't feel like, oh, they're tweaking the Captain America suit again so they can sell new underpants. It like feels yeah, like I never it works about it that for, way. The, for the arc. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, I have to say, you know, you guys on your on your Patreon are doing a deep dive into all the Marvel stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of rewatching them with you guys. Mm-hmm. I've seen them all at least once in the theater, and some of them I think are good, some of them I don't. But yeah. what I do think is interesting is how successfully they've folded these characters into the long term. Like Tony Stark has sure. gone through some really interesting mm-hmm. arcs. And and they're also kind of hamstrung a little bit by Robert Downey Jr. So to successfully do all of that is is impressive. I agree, and and I even think in a weird way the things that bug me in the arcs where I'm just like they drop that yeah. this was clearly yeah. set up to be more of a thing, and then it just wasn't tracking or whatever it is kind of feels like like comic books mm-hmm. where you would just be too. like yeah. oh the first issue of this arc is clearly setting up this by issue three they had changed course to some other thing <laughs> yeah. you know they found yeah. the elements that were clicking yeah For sure um well let's talk about 99 yes. shall we? Yeah. yeah where were you in 99 uh I'm, I'm a little baby boy so i was 10 years old okay Living in uh, New York City, right? Downtown Griffin Gnomes. <laughs> downtown Griffin Gnomes, of course. Uh, as uh, people call me. Do you remember by movies people I mean that myself. you loved in '99? Oh yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. Toy Story two being yeah. at the at the top of that. Because I I was uh, always a movie kid to the exclusion of everything else. Okay, mm-hmm. it was like the one thing I kind of got, like movies and cartoons. I was like able to engage with, and even the culture around it. And I would just have all these. Like making of Magica movies, you know, uh-huh. the makeup and the animatronics and all that stuff. I, it was just like the only thing I understood. Uh, and when my parents were going for like parent teacher conferences, they were like, he has to find other things. <laughs> like it's like not healthy that this is the only thing he talks about. Yeah. So even by the time Toy Story came out when I was six, I already was a kid who would like schedule my life around when is there going to be a making of special. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, which okay. Disney, I feel like, always did them. Between ABC and the Disney Channel, there would always be a making of special. Uh, so any, anything like that, like I, the full package of it. And I remember going to see some movie with my mom that I had dragged her to see. It might have been the Big Green or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the Toy Story trailer came up and I went, oh, that's my movie. <laughs> they, they, made a movie they finally made a movie That's my movie. Me. That's the one for me. They finally <laughs> got my notes, my handwritten letters that I didn't send them. <laughs> This is everything I want out of a movie. Right. So it was like I really called my shot. Yep. And then that was my Star Wars. Right. But but I feel like whereas a lot of people when they have whatever their Star Wars movie is where it's like, oh, that's what like turned me on to the thing. They never went deep into movies before that. And it was like right. I was looking for a movie to go that deep into, <laughs> you know? Uh, so then once, once I had that, it was like all in. I had this like giant uh, like coffee table, uh, hardcover. Uh, making of Pixar book that was so dense and academic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my parents bought it for me because it had like a lenticular cover and they were like, yeah, it's like another picture book. And I would just read this thing and be like, yeah, Ralph Eccleston's art direction was really (laughs) strong. Like I knew the name of every Pixar book as like a six-year-old. So So, was there a movie, so Toy Story 2 must have just been the movie that you were 
Yeah, I mean, it was like Empire Strikes Back. It was like they're making mm-hmm. a, right, a, right. a Star Wars 2. Are you kidding me? Right. And it was the same kind of thing where I, I remember my father very young saying to me, because I would just keep talking, do you think they're going to do this? Do you think they're going to do that? Like, I was very proud of myself that I was like, Zerg's got to be in the sequel. And people would be like, who the fuck is Zerg? <laughs> and I was like, when they do a close-up of Buzz Lightyear's packaging on the back, you see oh, the wow. name Evil Emperor Zerg. And I was just like, we all know the Zerg's clearly being teed up for the sequel, you know? <laughs> like, I, Yeah. I mean, when you read about the development of this film. Yes. Uh, and how, I mean, as we all know, it's a miracle when a good movie is made, period. Right. Very hard to make a good movie. But this movie went through so many different iterations mm-hmm. before getting to where we are. You have to wonder whether or not the timeline and how, you know, obviously how tight it was. Yeah probably helped make this movie as good as it is. I, I think so. I mean, that one of my many theories about this film. But, I mean, to circle back around to where I was yes, in sorry. 99, mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like I was at this threshold of starting to really engage with, like, a, a fully adult movies. Like, by this point, I was maybe like, okay, now I'm, like, a, a full-on Oscar handicapper. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, I'm someone who's reading the Entertainment Weekly issue and trying to break down who the nominees are. Sure. And I'm finally old enough that I'm starting to get, like, you know, limited R-rated movie. You know, the, the, my parents will see it first, but they'll vet it and go, this one's like a soft R. You can see this. <laughs> so I'm, like, yeah. really seeing all the sort of auteurist 99, you know last vanguard of, like, the director-driven American cinema films. <laughs> and Toy Story 2 is, like, maybe this bridge movie where it's like, is this the time to put aside childish, childish things? things. Mm-hmm. But I'm in no way hiding how much I have invested in the idea of this movie being great. And I just my, want to say for the record yeah. that, that a 10-year-old Griffin Newman is like, should I put away childish things? A hundred percent. But I, I understand that. That's like... And, and I would not put aside childish yeah. things even to this day. I was going to say. <laughs> right. That's the thing. But but at this moment, it was, I think, because I wanted to be able to have movie conversations with adults or even yeah. teenagers and not lose respectability when I was like, and I'm really excited for like Toy Story 2. You know, like I wasn't embarrassed that I liked it, but I was like, I don't want that to work against like my take on, uh, you know, uh, being John Malkovich or whatever. You know, I don't want it to look like no. he's, a, he's a baby. Uh, I, I think that was sort of the fear. So no, no couched enthusiasm for Toy Story 2, but it also was like, I, I think a little bit of like, am I going to watch this and be like, oh, I'm not a kid anymore, you know? Well, I think Toy Story 2 does a- Which I was, clearly, but yeah. <laughs> I think Toy Story 2 like, kind of occupies a weird space in uh, American cinematic history, yeah. which is it was the first animated film that I can remember – Elite critics yeah, yeah. taking seriously that and actually Iron Giant. Yeah. So the, the same year these two movies come out, like Toy Story, I think people loved, but I think, and Lion King and Beauty and the yeah. Beast, but I think they still looked at it as this is a really beautiful, brilliant kids movie. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Toy Story, I remember those reviews. And yeah. particularly, I mean, it, it topped a lot of top 10, top 10 lists it, that it year. It won Best Comedy at the Golden Globes. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it did. I against, I mean, against stiff competition. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, it was a big year. Toy yeah. Story 1 won it also, right? Toy Story 1 didn't. Toy Story uh, 1, I know they, they gave, it, it got nominated for screenplay, yeah. and they gave, at the Oscars, they gave it, like, an honorary award. But that's the thing, was they gave an honorary award for, like, technical breakthrough. Yeah. And you look at so oh. many of the Toy Story 1 reviews, that was the highest grossing film of its year. Yeah. Critics clearly liked it, but, like, you, you know watch, what I think won that year? I think it was Babe. I think that is true. I think Babe that was a, the thing. Babe, Babe was like the this, critically yeah. respected children's film that year. 
And yeah. Toy Story, they were like, that's the blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. It's clever, but above all else, what a technological breakthrough. Well, it's so funny. We were talking before we got on mic, Kenny and I, before we got mm-hmm. here, we were briefly talking about how if it seems as though they approach Toy Story by saying, if it's just a gimmick, if it's just a technological advancement, who yeah. really cares? Yes. We still have to make a good it's, movie. It's Tron, and, and, it's, and, then exactly. we, and then it goes away forever, and right. we never do another like, one Toy Story is still a fucking great movie. Like, oh, take, it's perfect. Take away the whiz-bang of it all. It's a great movie. But, but what I find sort of uh, stunning to look back at is, like, you watch the Siskel Ebert review of uh, the first Toy Story, and the entire thing is dedicated to how good the surfaces look. Yeah. They spend the entire time talking about, like, this really is a marvel, like it is just Tron. Yeah. And it's like, it wasn't until 2 that retroactively it feels like everyone was like, oh, these things are really well written. Mm -hmm. It feels almost a little anomalous that it got a screenplay nomination for the first one because no one was giving it that sort of credit at the time. And and the circumstances through which the movie comes out are, like, so bizarre because it's, you know, I, I mean, a, a computer technology company, right, that then George Lucas buys because he thinks there's something there. John Laster, having been fired from Disney, uh, you know, sees – goes to a uh, – not a CES, but one of those sorts of conferences, mm-hmm. sees the demo reel and goes, like, I think I could do this. And they bring them on as like, I don't know, let's have this be one of the 18 things we're trying to do. Let someone make shorts. Yeah. And then the shorts start working and people think they're funny. And he brings in uh, Pete Docter and Andrew Stanton. And they build the original team. George Lucas sells it. He's like, look, I don't see much value here. After they had said, like, we'd like to make a movie. And he's like, I don't think that's the thing. But by all means, see if you can find a buyer. Which is shocking. Insane. He'd be so short-sighted considering that he's a man that, you well, know, obviously. Yeah. Can- Okay. Well, I just, I mean, Creatively I technologically, but technologically, I, technologically, he's so good at doubling down sure. on like the future of the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. But right. I, I think, I think, I think what we're we're kind of getting at is he probably saw the value in the technology. Yeah. Yeah. It was the idea of can we marry story to this technology? That I think was seems like a bridge too far for him. I don't want to shit on George Lucas. Yeah. You know how I feel about episode one. I think like <laughs> And we we know how Griffin I know how you guys feel about I mean one. it is the best of the fans of Menace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I yeah. mean that has nothing to do with George Lucas, but yeah. I, I I can see that. I can see him saying, This may not work. Right. Yeah. But but Jobs doubles down, which is even weirder because yeah. it's here's a guy with no, no story, story background, yeah, only really technology, and he yeah. sees the value of this as a storytelling tool. It's it's kind of incredible. I mean, and, and Jobs, he was involved. Till his death, right? Like, is yeah. Apple still – they're still involved in the company, I imagine, to some extent, right? Uh, well, no, because they sold fully to Disney. Oh, right, right. Sorry. But it ended – I mean, he was still very advisory in all levels, creatively, technologically, business-wise, until his death. And mm. he died the largest independent shareholder of Disney. It's incredible. Because that was That's his incredible. buyout for, the, for Pixar. You know, so he yeah. was very hands-on at both Disney and Pixar until his death. That's amazing. Um, they, yeah, I mean, they said that he, he consulted on everything until he died. I mean, he was instrumental from a, from a sort of bargaining and negotiation perspective as well in terms right. of, like, how they negotiated with Disney and, and all that sort of stuff. Right. It's pretty fascinating. It's, it's the history of Pixar, which, you know, we, we could do an entire podcast yeah. just on Pixar. But it is just fascinating to, to see how this film also was kind of folded into that, that whole, like – Sequels, no sequels. This is the whole crazy thing. And that's another thing that I think this movie totally changed. I think this movie shifted the entire sequel conversation at least 30 degrees in American cinema. But, right. So, I mean, from that point, Jobs buying, they go to Disney, pitch them a Christmas special uh, because they were like, we want to do a long-form animated thing. 
Uh, I think Lasseter had won two Oscars already at that point for shorts. Uh, So it was clearly like there was something working there. And they said, look, if you can do half an hour, why not just do an hour? Because the original Toy Story is like... 80-something minutes? With credits. With credits, yeah. Right. It's like very short. Yeah. So uh, there was, I mean, the the legacy, because both of these movies, I think it's key that they came out of like real struggles to make them work. Like they kept on almost dying. That they were trying to acquiesce to all the Katzenberg notes, which in retrospect were all the things he later would do at DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, I want to do an animated movie that's like really for grown-ups. Like pop right. culture jokes, edgy, yeah. you know, like it's like movie star driven, using their personalities and different looking bodies. Like, God. Isn't it depressing that yeah. that kind of worked? I, mean, that, I know. Not, yeah. but it's, it's, it's crazy. depressing that that, that that worked commercially. Because yeah. it's so cynical. Right. Yeah. It's so cynical, but, but yeah. there's like 10% of the residue of what he was trying to do that I think positively impacts Toy Story. Mm-hmm. And they were so defined by, like, everyone views animation as only what Disney does. And the few studios who have tried to step up to the plate uh, just try to do Disney, yeah. essentially. And uh, it, there, there was not until the Rugrats movie an American animated film that grossed over $100 million that wasn't released by Disney. Quick sidebar. Is there a chance of you guys actually doing with Don Bluth? Yeah. I, I would love to. I would kill for it. I mean, it's a fucking crazy career. <laughs> oh, it is yeah. a crazy career. Yeah, hundred percent. Not to get too yeah. far in that direction, but you know, I have three little children, mm-hmm. and Don Bluth movies come up every once in a while. Yeah, they're fascinating. They're weird. They're so weird. The, the animation yeah. looks like nothing else I'd ever yeah. seen, and they really are an interesting alternative to everything Disney did for the last 80, 90 years. Right. So I would. I mean, Please. I loved. I loved one vote here. Couldn't believe it was. <laughs> yeah. on, couldn't believe it was on the Marsh Madness thing. So, we, yeah. He, we had that idea late, and we were like, "Oh fuck, we have to throw him on there." And I think. I, I mean, I'm hoping more people rallied behind him this year. But, but yeah, I mean, you look. Bluth was so weird, but it felt like what he was trying to do was this is how Disney should have evolved with the times. Like yeah. it was still the Disney formula, but he was trying to like advance it, you know, sure. and add more artistry to it. I mean, and it, Pixar comes <clears> up with a list of like all the things we're not doing. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a musical, you know? There's only, I mean, there's one song in each of these movies. Am I wrong in that? It's Toy the, Story and Toy Story 2? The first one has like three, but they're just oh, really? Randy Newman singing. They're not oh, sung right, by right. characters. Right. It's funny because... This one has the Sarah Tarzan McLaughlin song, is, obviously. Right. Tarzan yeah. is also this year, which is the first Disney movie that doesn't have their characters singing right. songs. Right. It's right. all Phil Collins songs. Right. So it, it's... It Which seem- is weird too. Yeah, right. it seems as if Disney is a little kind of retroactively, and they and the two songs that the characters kind of sing, they're sort of one foot in, one foot out. Where it's like they have Glenn Close sing a lullaby to Tarzan, sure, which is yeah. like, right. well, it's not like a musical number. It's like a mother does that. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's that weird Rosie O'Donnell song where she's yeah. like scatting while yeah. they're like trapped that in a human weird. camp. Yeah, yeah, that's a weird moment in right. that movie. <laughs> but, but most of the song kind of is feel, it feels yeah. diegetic in its right. own way. It's Phil Collins yeah. over you know yeah, the film in his own voice. And he also just it was pretty clear that Phil Collins is like, here are five songs. I don't really care if they have anything to do with right, the story. Right, <laughs> Another depressing thing that it beat this song. I, we, we've hit most of the yeah. songs now that were nominated. This so is the this one that should have won. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is, I mean, the Jesse moment in this movie, it's I think is, yeah. I think it's the saddest moment in Pixar to me. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of them. I know the opening of Up and there's a lot, I mean, don't get me wrong. Wally, I basically cry through most of that movie. Yeah. But, but this there's something about how we should rank our top five favorite saddest moments yeah. in Pixar. of Pixar. Like, yeah, it's just really 
it's I don't know. There's something about the sadness of it, and and Jesse's a really sad character. Agree, and yeah. maybe my favorite character in the history. Of when, when he <laughs> yeah. opens the box at the end, yeah. and she's in the fetal position, and yeah. you're just like Jesse. Yeah. I, keep I it think together. there's a lot of very subtle characterization that doesn't get enough credit, and how they depict Jesse as like a survivor of, of trauma. Yeah, she, yeah. And when she starts having her panic attacks, like I can't go back in the box. I can't, I'm yeah. like, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Jessie. But that's I mean that's the thing. I think this movie doesn't get enough credit in the Pixar can because there is a weird amount of restraint. Yeah. This is when they're starting to tackle more adult things a little more aggressively psychologically. Yeah. And th- that the Jesse sequence, I-, I just think, pulls back in such a way that it hits you harder because you're just like, this isn't clearly Ugh. teeing me up to like cry. The look on her face when she's back in the thing, you're just like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's right. really, really, really good. And also, I mean... Sarah McLaughlin's very good at pulling heartstrings. So, like, yeah. you've got this marriage of those two things. Yeah. And, and how and, sun-kissed it is and all of it is just and like... And you go... Randy Newman sings all three songs in the first movie. Yeah. Then A Bug's Life, they have his song, which is in the end credits, but he sings it. And it's <laughs> like... They've established a model now that's like Randy yeah. Newman writes songs that play over the action. <laughs> yeah. And for him to be like, I shouldn't sing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not one for me. And I love <laughs> Randy Newman, yeah. but it was, like, such a good call to be like, I'm yeah. not the tenor that this needs to have. Yeah. Uh, it's a really beautiful moment, and she's oh, a beautiful sorry. character, which, yeah. I mean, from some of the research I did, seems to have been pushed by Lasseter's wife, in fact, saying that there's no strong yeah, women in your, like. which, yeah. which I think is really interesting. You know, I, she is one of the best female characters they've ever done yeah. on, in Pixar. Yeah. I, it's, it's, and Joan Cusack so perfectly voices it. It's just, it's yeah. just They've done shit. so few. I mean, in the last few years, there have been more. Yes, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Brave more, being maybe the uh, one of the bigger ones. Yeah, but inside, inside out, out is I really think, what right, I was that's thinking. the strongest because yeah. you have like two female leads inside a third female lead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, it really is. Yeah. Those are the three principal characters for sure. Uh, and Mrs. Incredible, I, I think Elastigirl. Yes. Yes, I keep yes. on calling her Mrs. Incredible, and people rake me over the coals for it because they don't oh. know that it's a joke. Um, uh, <laughs> Wait, how how does he not know that? I don't know her name's Elastigirl. <laughs> Uh, I just like calling all of them blank incredible like sure. it's their last name. Yeah. So I'm going to do a very brief synopsis for the yes. five people that might not have seen Toy Story 2 and are right. listening to this podcast. Um, Woody, played by Tom Hanks, is stolen from his home by toy dealer Al McWiggin, played by Wayne Knight, also perfectly perfect yeah. voice casting, yeah. uh, leaving Buzz Lightyear, played by Tim Allen, and the rest of the gang to try to rescue him. But when Woody discovers that he's actually a valuable collectible from a once popular television show called Woody's Roundup, and is recruited and is reunited with his horse, Bullseye, Jesse the Yodeling Cowgirl, played by Joan Cusack, and his faithful sidekick, Stinky Pete, the prospector, played by Kelsey Grammer. He doesn't want to leave. Uh, so Toy Story 2 was released on November 19th, 1999, uh, in first place, as you can imagine, $57.3 million, which today would be over oh, 100, I'm assuming. Right, and the yes. five-day was even bigger. The five-day was, was even five bigger. Day? Yeah, right. I just remember being like, I remember being the front cover of the New York Post. It had a weird mm-hmm. thing where yeah. it was released two days early in right. like two theaters, right. and then it opened wide Disney for Thanksgiving. Disney do that, where they want to prestige it up and be like, yeah, like yeah. platform it in Limited, some way. right. Um, it would go on to make uh, just shy of $500 million worldwide, which, you know, obviously today would be seven or eight hundred million dollars yeah. um, it's 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 crazy uh we spoke earlier as well that it had a perfect score on run tomatoes until last year when it was dethroned by paddington 2 which is just it was dethroned because paddington 2 had a larger number of yeah. perfect reviews yeah, exactly which is just the modern exactly. landscape exactly so we have you here yeah so we kind of have to do the box office sure. game. Yeah, yeah yeah uh if you're if you're open to doing yes, that most definitely um so 
it's opening weekend. We're going to do when it opened wide as opposed to... Well, let me say to you, I, yes. one of the two weekends, I can't remember if it was the limited weekend or the wide weekend, mm-hmm. is the weekend that Ride with the Devil came out, which I know we did cover oh, on the podcast. So the I would other. say let's do the other one. This is the other one. Great. Perfect. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> what a pro. <laughs> Great. So uh, in this weekend, yeah. number one. With a bullet. Okay, so this is their wide weekend. Yeah. Uh, The second is – did very well. It's in its second weekend. It is also a franchise film. Uh, It had – what's a good – This is Thanksgiving night. I'm not looking at it. Oh, you're not looking at it? I'm playing at home. Oh, okay. Was this – was it uh, World is Not Enough? It is. World is Not Enough. Okay. Good, 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 good. There would be a ding if we had a ding. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, In third place, its first weekend – uh, a huge movie star, uh, an action movie star. Interesting. Okay. Not really an action film, uh-huh. more of a genre piece. Um, so he's trying to grow a little bit, maybe? <laughs> no? Maybe. maybe. I mean, it's. I will say this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is hmm. uh, It's not a great movie. It did okay. pretty well. It made $20 million in its first weekend. Wow. It would go on to do pretty well. Have we yeah. covered it? Uh, we have not covered it. Um, it has... Horror Would you elements. ever cover? <laughs> well, we're covering. We all have to of cover every movie of 1999. Oh, really? That's wow. the conceit of the that podcast. The of the podcast. It's nice to have like oh. a goal for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Okay. It is. It is approximately 250 films. Okay. And then yeah. on top of the fact that we also will be covering some television TV shows, too. Mm. so The Sopranos, West Wing, Freaks okay. and Geeks. Okay, so. crazy. Uh, we'll be doing this for a while. Um, yeah, I would say uh, uh, Gabriel Byrne is in it. Oh, it's end of days. It is end of days. Okay. Sorry if I if that uh, no, tipped no, it for you're you. Right. And, and you're right. It isn't really branching out. <laughs> it's, it's him it's going out of his sweet spot, but also not branching out in any meaningful. Yeah, way. it's like Schwarzenegger fights the devil. Right. Which, by the way, like I saw it in the theater. Yeah. It's not a good movie, but I saw it because Schwarzenegger fights the devil. But it was mm-hmm. one of those things where you're like, you just imagine someone walking and go, "Here's my pitch: Schwarzenegger fights the devil," and you go slam dunk. <laughs> and then that movie, it's like this is like a little too pretentious. It is without being smart. Like it's like moody and not yeah. like campy fun also like weirdly schwarzenegger at least in my head always fights like tactile things yes yes that makes any sense right yeah yeah so he was fighting like he's not a supernatural guy. Uh, unless yeah. he's unless he's in some other world right but if he's in a if he's in you know total recall yeah. or right. something along those lines right but if, if he is terrestrial he is fighting other terrestrial beings right. right but your your point is that like that movie veers a little too into like hellblazer constantine yeah, territory. Exactly. exactly which is not where i yeah. see where right. schwarzenegger no, lives for me no. not really where i want him right but. Uh, number four is uh, was number two the weekend previous. Uh, it was no- notorious, I guess, because both of the films that opened did very, very well. They were like neck and neck. Sleepy Hollow. It is Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, big movie for all of us. Big movie for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then number five is a franchise I know nothing about. Uh, which your friend uh, Michael Natale is going to come on for. Oh, interesting. Did you okay. skip? Did you skip one? Because oh, no. now I'm looking at it. No. Oh, okay. Number this five. is the weekend of the 26th. I don't know which weekend you're looking at. But I'm looking at December. It's That's all the same films wow. Wow. for two weekends. It's crazy. But the order just uh, – it's, wow. it Now, right. I don't know where it falls in this oeuvre. Okay. Um, we're – I guess – and this might tip you, but like we're, we're going to be getting a reboot of this this summer. A reboot of this this summer? It's a yes. 99. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Uh, how, how many films are there in total, including the new reboot? You don't know. You there don't know. There are so many because I don't even know. Dozens? Dozens. Literally dozens. Literally dozens? <laughs> I don't know how many have been theatrically released, but 
dozens. I believe wow. this was the first one released here. I think that it was either one or two. I think it was one, but it was either one or two. Whoa! <laughs> that should that maybe should be a, a, a hint. It should in and of be itself. a hint. Of, yeah, that's so specific. It's uh, it is a very interesting franchise that has spawned toys and games. This yeah, does feel I mean, very Griffin. In my wheelhouse, yeah. Uh, it, toys and games. <laughs> toys and games. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's as popular today yeah, as I was just going to say, been. it had a big resurgence. Oh, it's Pokemon the first yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Do you know of if course. that was the first or the second? That it's, is the first. It's called. It's literally <laughs> called Pokemon the first movie. I, but yeah. there was like but I wasn't Pokemon sure. 2000 was that's kind the second of around the same yeah, time. Right. That's the second one. It comes out like six months later. Okay. Because they had already released like four in Japan at that point. They released all of them in America within like an 18-month span. Yeah. But yeah, so so uh, Michael's coming on for that. He's very right, excited. I right. know nothing. I'm about very Pokemon. excited too. Uh, Kenny's very excited. Well, like, I'll say, like that was you talk about like putting us out childish things. I was in the perfect age sweet spot for Pokemon. Yeah. Pokemon fever was like yeah. so all consuming. You're like, I think it was like one of those last moments where uh, our our culture was monolithic. That if there was a kid trend. Everyone had to be sure. into it. Sure. Like sure, now sure. kids can find their own lane and like whatever, but it was like everyone had to fuck with Pokemon in 1999. It felt that way. And I remember t- making my dad take me and my brother Jamesy to see the movie and sitting there and being like, I think I'm done with this. Like really? you saying that, oh, it, 10 sounds young for you to feel like you have to put aside <laughs> childish things. I was sitting there in Pokemon. I go, I, I can't be doing this any longer. Really? Yeah. It just felt like this is, this is the end of this thing. Do you think it's because the, my detachment from Pokemon has sure. more to do with it feels like a cultural divide. Yeah. There's something – and I, don't, I I like anime. I'm very excited for us to but cover Princess Mononoke on the, on the podcast. Old. I know, but I'm just saying that, that – As am I. I. That there's something very kind of uh, surreal and strange and, and almost kind of uh, – like there's some sort of a translation that's being lost yes. a little bit. That I wonder if that might have had something to do with it as well. Or as a kid, did you just not even tap into that stuff? And you're just like, it, it was such a weird thing. I mean, it was just, it's like this perfectly designed franchise. It is. Be- because of, and it just feels like they stumbled into it and now people try to recreate it to mixed effects. Sure. But it always feels reverse engineered from the end point. But the, the gotta catch them all thing. Yeah. You know, the yeah. way it existed in, like, you know, it's a game where watching the episodes of the TV show contextualize how badly you want to win these characters, but also the cards. Yeah. You know, there were so many different outlets to it yeah. where the idea of, like, I, I think it was also, like, it, in a weird way, it was, like, sports for nerds. Where it was like That's you understand call. the relative stats of these things yeah. Yeah. And, and the dream scenarios of how they would work together. It's very smartly And then together. you craft this very basic hero's narrative onto it where it's like a little kid from a small town. I mean he's like essentially yeah. Luke Skywalker yeah. and he dreams yeah. something bigger and he goes off yeah. and becomes a master. And then I think there's this thing where when you get older, everyone looks at it and goes, wow, this premise is so fucked up. Yeah. And now, obviously, you make him a detective. That's the obvious. Right. That's the obvious next step. obvious thing to do. The obvious next step. I, so I, I, think you'll, I, I think you'll like – Pokey, I think you'll like going into the world of Pokemon when we do a little more than you. you I don't doubt to. it for a second. I don't doubt like it. as my kids have because my son six and a half is like yeah. super into Pokemon, right? And I've had to watch every one of these movies, and I've been shocked at the emotional depth. Yeah, contained with. I'm excited. These movies. I, it's yeah. just it's it's an ocean I don't know anything about. Yeah, I was cool. at, being the eldest at this table. I was 19 in, in 1999, mm-hmm. so Pokemon was just not something that, that really. Right. Yeah, of course. I not. still yeah. loved Toy Story because again, I think it, it it hits you on different levels. And it's a real movie. Like I, I will not defend Pokemon <laughs> sure. the first movie for a millisecond. 
<laughs> okay, that's yeah. good. Um, so I want to read just a brief uh, portion of Roger Ebert's review of this film. Okay. Because uh, I think it taps into something that I, I, I want to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, I forgot something about toys a long time ago, and Toy Story 2 reminded me. It involves the love, pity, and guilt that a child feels for a favorite toy. A doll or an action figure or a Pokemon is yours in the same way a pet is. It depends on you. It misses you. It can't do anything by itself. It needs you and is troubled when you're not there. Toy Story 2 knows this, and for smaller viewers, that knowledge may be the most important thing about the film, more important than the story or the skill of the animation. This is a movie about what, you're, what you hope your toys do when you're not around and what you fear. They have lives of their own, but you are the sun and the sky of their universe, and when you treat them badly, their feelings are wounded. And I think that that really hits home for me, at least in terms of seeing the emotional depth of this movie of this series and which goes even darker in the third one yeah it's basically all about death this this film is about a lack of love and detachment Mm -hmm. and betrayal betrayal also why i think this one's the darkest and i i think people are surprised when i say that but it's because i i think it's not as overt as three i think everything that three like directly addresses in a way people were like oh my god i can't believe how like mature they made it it's like baked into the cake in Toy Story 2 and they're not even mentioning it. You know? It's true. Which makes it more dark. Like the fact that they're not calling out Jesse's psychological complex thoroughly. <laughs> sure, mm-hmm. sure. You know? Or when I mean even just like there's moments in it rewatching it the other night where like when Woody gets shelved and everyone's like they shelved him and it's like and yeah. he like pulls his legs up from the sh- it's just like it's really really dark and I remember just seeing that in a theater and hearing the adults in the audience gasp <laughs> you know and it's like one of these movies yeah. it's this thing that Pixar can do where they can just establish the relative stakes for this character yeah. here's the language of this is the worst thing that could possibly happen is being shelved and they make it hit like so hard inside out does the same thing with like the emotion balls yeah. where mm-hmm. it's like the first time sadness touches one of them it starts turning blue and the whole audience goes like oh fuck yep. and you're like that shouldn't matter to any of us you're just yeah. changing a ball of color yeah. You know, but but it's like it's like Paddington Two with the pop up book. It's like I still this is seen why the Paddington movies. I apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. It's I can curse on the show, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. Crazy. They fuck. Um, <laughs> I hear they're incredible. Yes, uh, I, I I got too long winded and too big picture no, with no, this, yeah. but I think you know the relative hurdles that the two Toy Story movies had to overcome. One with Katzenberg trying to shove all the stuff down them. They had the screening with the story reels, which yeah. for those who don't know, yeah. with Pixar they do and animation they do this. You put the whole movie in storyboards. You have scratch voices, or maybe the actors have started recording. And so they watch the whole thing cut together with the temp soundtrack before they start animating because animation is so expensive. You're not going to yeah. get multiple takes to choose from. <laughs> so they want to make sure it works. And they did this screen that everyone said was, like, disastrous. Right. Like, pin drop nightmare. And they walk out, and Disney was like, well, the movie's canceled. We're not making this. Incredible. And they, like, got on their knees and were just like, give us a weekend and they went back and, like, didn't sleep mm-hmm. and said, like, what's the exact movie we want to see? So it's one of those things where they just had to, like, go to their basic instincts, fight so hard. Why did we like this premise in the first place? And just dug into it. it. It forced them to do all the hard work of this thing, which is when I was six and I saw the trailer for the first one, I went, yeah, finally, a movie about all the concerns that I have as a child. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. how much emotional investment you put into your toys. And I think you do this transference or your relationship to your toys reflects 
your fears of how the world views you and yep. your parents view you yep. and whether you'll be wanted and loved and cared for and attended to, whether your value will retain. I mean, all these yep. sorts of things. The projection of all those things. On right. Things. And I mean, the literal version of it is when like kids want a baby doll and want to pretend like they're parenting. But I yep. think it transfers to everything. I mean, I was talking to my girlfriend, Humble Brick, about <laughs> like, you know, she was saying that she had so many stuffed animals yeah. and that she would rotate which one she slept with because she felt like she didn't want to show favoritism. So does my wow. son. I understand that. That's right. real. Yeah. Right. And I was like, I had my like top tier guys who would lie on the bed and I wouldn't necessarily physically sleep with them, but right. I was like, you're here. Right. You're you got the bed. some job yeah. security. I mean, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> you make up all those kinds of rules. And yeah. I think they are reflections of, of your relationship with the world. And I think the first one is very much about being a child and hitting that point where you realize how much bigger the world is than you. Which often happens for kids when a sibling is born. And that's what the first Toy Story is really about. It's Buzz is the hot new sibling. Mm -hmm. And his entire world is is thrown into chaos. And then they actually find themselves stuck in a larger world that doesn't care for them, doesn't look for them. Toy Story 2, which, you know, after Toy Story 1 so big, Disney has been cranking out video sequels. That's Eisner's whole game. And they went, obviously we need a Toy Story 2. They uh, only had the, the deal for the first Toy Story. Jobs negotiates a five-picture deal that was five original movies. Sequels don't count. And they were like, look, if any mm-hmm. of these work, we're going to crank out some shitty DTV thing. You've got to make five original movies for us. And so they were like, you guys work on the next thing, A Bug's Life. This is still the period where Pixar is like an all-hands-on-deck company, yeah. where it's pretty small and everyone works on one movie, which I think is key. I'm not trying to distance <laughs> this movie from auteur theory just because Lasseter is a creep. Yeah. But I also think you look at this movie and the first one and A Bug's Life and then you look at Cars and you're like, you can't give Lasseter all the credit for these three. Yeah. <laughs> because clearly it was the fact that he had every good story person, every good He's got animator. brilliant people around him. Yeah. Without, right. without a doubt. Stanton, by all accounts, was the main writer on these two movies, and that's when he became, like, the key story guy sure. at Pixar who will, you know, understood. Because uh, they would hire outside comedy writers to try to write these movies. They went through, like, six writers. I think they're five or six credited including yeah. Joss Whedon, who they said was the first guy who kind of cracked it for them mm. but couldn't stay on long. And Andrew Stanton was like, I think at this point I, I'd like to have a go it. at yeah. it. And, and he ran with it. Uh, they are all working on A Bug's Life, and they were like, toss off a premise for Toy Story 2. And they toss it off. They give it to a couple of their junior guys. The B team's working on that, which they barely have a B team to spend. And they go all in on A Bug's Life. And that movie ends, you know, it's doing well, victory tour, they end the press tour. Lasseter says, whether or not topographical, that he, when he was flying back to go watch the first screening of Toy Story 2, he saw a little boy with a Woody doll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Realized, like, oh, this is, these characters mean this much to these people. I can't let this be shitty. Sees the There's screening. money to be made. There's money to be made. <laughs> yeah. Right. I used to tell myself that I was that boy. Because no one could ever disprove it. <laughs> it's very possible. I carry that doll with me everywhere. Certainly sure, to the sure. airport. Who knows? Could have been me. Could have been me. So you had a Woody doll? Oh, yes. Did you have a Buzz doll? I did. Did you I, have like – of the dolls, of the dolls, of the toys that existed, did you have the whole gang or I – had, I had most, I of, had them? most of them. Yeah, I mean I'll I say – I remember wanting a Rex and I, I don't the, think I The Rex stuff was limited and yeah. I had a small Rex. Yeah. They didn't make a good comprehensive, <laughs> here's everyone yeah. in the correct scale relative yeah. to each other with the right materials until Toy Story 3. I would say I had some representation of every main character. The, the, right, the right materials Amazing. are key. You can bring a key. Woody doll anywhere. Yeah. Yes. Did you, have a, did you have a character who you related to 
the most out Woody, of these? 100%. Woody, Woody really? 100%. And then with two, I think it then shifted over to, to Jesse, perhaps. But that was the thing was, like, the fact that in Toy Story 1, Woody is – becomes so petty. Yeah. That he becomes such an asshole. <laughs> I don't think I could – Yeah, break this at the time. But I was like, yeah. this is – this is the first animated film where the characters act like adults. Well, he's Richard Dreyfus in What About Bob? Right. Basically, right? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Buzz Lightyear comes in, he's a bumbling idiot who doesn't yeah. understand reality. Yeah. And everyone's so charmed. I mean, right. for me, Buzz Lightyear's like one of my favorite characters in the history of cinema. And I love that this movie gives you old Buzz and new Buzz. It's yeah. the best. It's uh, the best. It's, it's such it's, a smart conceit. But yes, the fact that Woody becomes driven by petty jealousy. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that there isn't like a clear moment where he monologues and explains like, and his know. and his friends see it too and call him out on it. You right, know what I, I mean, just, like they they're yeah. like, well, "What's up with you? Like, right. why are you acting this way?" Which I right. think is really, I mean, but what's so great about that? I mean, Griffin, to your earlier point, what's so great about that is like all the toys, and you look at the, the entire series, all the toys have the same goal. Yeah, I just want to be loved by the person who owns me or bought me right. my person, even Lotsa, right? Even yeah. like the bad toys right. just have the same goal. So it's really kind of heartwarming in the end of the day that Woody's just doing it for Andy's love. Uh, well, and, and that's why I think these movies are so existential because they really are like, what? who do we want to be? Like, yeah. what do we want out of life? Yeah. And what are our greatest fears? Yeah. And I think Toy Story 2 is the movie. So, so here's the other thing. They go to the screening. They see it. It's a nightmare. Lasseter and, and the Pixar group go to Disney and they go, we can't release this. And Disney goes, you don't understand. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> it's called Toy Story 2. We'll put it out on VHS and we'll make $100 million. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And his pitch to them is, if you give us a six-month extension, if you give us a year, yeah. we will redo the entire movie and make it good enough to release in theaters, which at the time was not done. There's one theatrical Disney sequel. It's The Rescuers Down Under. Yeah, wh- why is that? Just- the explanation was that when Eisner came in and was like, we got to exploit the brands, and this speaks to a weird sort of integrity that doesn't exist today, he was like, oh, God damn it, all these other movies end with ha- like happily ever after. <laughs> the Rescuers is the only one that feels like it could be kind of serialized. Right. And of course, they end up making direct-to-video sequels to all those movies later, right. explaining why the happily ever after wasn't happily ever after, whatever. But um, but non-canon to some extent. And sequels were certainly seen as a lesser thing. They mostly happen to like franchises where it's like cop movies, right. you know, or like mm-hmm. things like that horror films where it's and it's just cheaper. Like, the straight to video is cheap, right? Very, so like very releasing cheap. a movie theatrically is very expensive. So I, I understand, but like Disney of all places, you right. What's order. kind of lovely about this 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 point, this idea is. In general, sequels are garbage, right? Yes. In general, sequels are, you yeah. know, Jaws 3D. Yeah. Occasionally, sequels are Godfather 2. Right. Or Empire Strikes Back. Or Babe Pig in the City. Or, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, okay, yeah. there, is, there is a history of if you nail the sequel, you've done the greatest – you've had the greatest cinematic achievement possible. Yeah. So there is that, that, that North Star to shoot for. Well, and that's – Which I, I think they are. Pixar yes. is looking at it that right. way for sure, 100%. And that's what it sounds yeah. like. It sounds like right. Lasseter is like yeah. – I'm going to try to make my yeah. Godfather 2, my Empire, Sweet whatever. The They're just holding themselves to insane standards yeah. on this movie. Yeah. And it's like a year of people not sleeping. Like all the stories you hear about this and movie. And being injured apparently. Like there were a lot of people with carpal tunnel and any number of things. I'm, I'm, I know you're laughing, <laughs> no, but, but like seriously. conditions that lasted for the rest of yeah, their no, life. I don't mean to laugh at it. I mean, but it's just People it's are like true. fucking is, like is, leaving yeah, their kids in like cars. This Griffin gets well, his dialogue injury. Yes, <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, truly. And you're working hard. There are all these crazy stories where the entire movie almost got deleted. 
Well, that 80% thing, oh, that's, that's, that's yeah. the craziest yeah. story that yeah. I read. Was, they found out that someone had someone it on a backup it. floppy yeah. disk. Like, otherwise the movie would was not exist. gone. They would have had to start like over someone a happened to be at home like with, their, with their kid, like, yeah. just happened to be at home and they had it. It's so crazy. Yeah, all those emails. I mean, it's yeah. just nuts. Thank oh, you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to breeze past that. <laughs> no, right. no, I was, I no but it's, it, there are two things going on here. You know, one is, I think, they're holding themselves to insane standards. Yes. And I think part of in the same way they had these chips on their shoulders, these were guys who didn't uh, figure out how to make it through the traditional Disney system, despite being CalArts guys, where that was just the pipeline to going to Disney. They didn't fit in there. They started their own studio. You know, they uh, amass in numbers. People don't believe they can make shorts. They don't believe they can make commercials. They don't believe they can make features. Yeah. And so at this point, they're just really vindictively trying to prove everything. Yeah. Right. And and Toy Story 2, it's like, okay, let's try to change that thing. That sequels suck, that yeah. they can't matter, that they're crass, that they're cash-ins, any of that sort of stuff. And I remember my father saying to me when I was like, what if in Toy Story 2, like, what if in Toy Story 2, when I was in, like, the three-year mm-hmm. lead-up, mm-hmm. you know, and I kept on hypothesizing, and my dad said to me, Griff, I just need you to understand. It might not be good. Oh, it's yeah. so good. It's, yeah. yeah. I, I have this very distinct memory of him just being like, you need to be prepared for the fact that it probably will not be good. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, sequels are not good. And he was like, Godfather 2. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. What are you talking about? <laughs> and just he like, was uh, like, David's trying to make sure that you don't lose it for Toy Story 4. Right. And he was like, I don't know. Like, most sequels aren't better. And I was like, what are you talking about? What about Ghostbusters 2? And he was like, most people don't think Ghostbusters 2 is as good. Do you like, think I didn't understand. <laughs> At that point, I was oh. like, these are both movies I watch on TV. I think it's right. good today. So right. I, I think it's fun. Like, there are a ton of movies like that where I just, like, didn't understand relative values yeah, right, of, of sequels right. and originals and what have you. And he was like, y- you have to be prepared for this. So, so much of this movie, I can intellectually break down why I still think it's a masterpiece. Yeah. But it also is, I don't want to sound too depressing when I say this. I, I just, there's such a, a <laughs> undivorceable context of me sitting there in the theater and going, this is probably the best I'm ever going to feel because I will never have higher expectations for anything and they're surpassing them so wildly. The relief and the sort of like victory, like pump my fist, like they're doing it. They're doing it like on a scene to scene basis. And this movie is so tight. It was forged in fire. I knew that it was supposed to be directive. Like all these things, you know, know, that movie you're talking about. I remember having that exact same feeling with a very weird thing. Remember when Prince played the Super Bowl? Yeah. Sure. And no one – there's never the, been the, the Beyonce one you're talking about? No. Or the was, first one? It was, when it was raining, when right? When it was raining. Yes, yes, And yes. they dropped the drape and they had yeah. – and he had – and there would never been a good Prince yeah. – there never been a good halftime show sure. ever. Yeah. And all my friends are sitting there and they're Prince whatever. I'm crazy about Prince. And I'm just like, no, no, he's going to do it. He's yeah. going to do it. Yeah. And the rain came down and the drape came down and he has his guitar and I stand up and I go – Fuck you guys! <laughs> right. No. And, and you know, you, you know, like, I'm not a sports guy, but I'm obsessed with the story of the Michael Fuck. Jordan flu game. And yeah. it's that feeling with well, that's, it. That's, that's, right, when you're just like, this is a great game regardless. Yeah. But if you're invested in the fact that yeah. it's like, Andy has the flu, yeah. like, you understand what went into it. Yeah. And so there's, there's that element to Toy Story 2. But the other thing is you have to think of how much – all the people at Pixar have sacrificed at this point Ugh. to, like, pull all-nighters. I mean, when you read the number of, like, Toy Story 1 costs, like, $40 million, 
And it's like that's because it was made by like 15 people. Yeah. Like it's – the way you save money is just manpower and everyone just lost their minds making that movie. Then they go straight into a second movie and then they go straight into taking over a third movie. So they're also now at this point making a movie about trying to figure out their relationships <laughs> to their family because yeah. I think this is the key of like the existential shift in Toy Story 2 – is like now it's not about being a child and wondering whether your parent will love you forever and whether you'll have a place in the world and whether the outside world will care about you as much as your home did and all of that. Now it's about being a parent and wondering whether your child won't care about you. Whether you've ruined that relationship, whether they'll learn to be independent of you, you know, whether you fucked it up and now you're stuck on a shelf or now you're at a museum in Japan. And I do think the central paradigm of the thing that Stinky Pete, the prospector, proposes to Woody. You really are Stinky Pete. Yep. Where he where he says to him, like, what do you want? You go to Andy, you get a few more good years. Yeah. But is he going to bring you to college? Or and on this, his honeymoon. Right. And this is like the subtext thing. Everyone gets the feels for Toy Story 3, which I do too. I'm yeah. not backhanding it yeah. because it makes the college thing literal. But for me, when Stinky Pete says that, I get shivers. <laughs> because what's scarier is the notion of sitting at that moment and not knowing how it's going to play out. And the alternate is you go to a museum and Everyone will love you forever for the rest of time. But is it really real? You have a lot of transactional love. I want to take that that point. So if one, and I agree, one is about being a child, two is about being a parent. Yeah. I think three is about being a boyfriend or girlfriend. I think Interesting. Three, I always think three is – and, and I think if you look at this through the lens of Jesse's – Relationship with Buzz. Relationship yeah. With, yeah. with Emily. Yes, but in the third one, I thought you meant with Buzz. Cause yeah, but it's really – it has nothing to do with Jesse and Buzz for yeah. the most part. It's really yeah. about toys and their, and their owners yeah, yeah, or yeah. however you want to yeah. say it. But Jesse – to me, Jesse's relationship with Emily is a relationship between two people who are in an emotional relationship. Yeah. It breaks up and she can't move on. Right. Right? And she can't That's move on until she finds Andy and it's all kind of seated there. In Toy Story 3, they're all breaking up with Andy. Every yeah. one of them is breaking up with Andy and – We've all gone through breakups. Breakups feel like you're about to die. Other than yeah. Woody. I mean, three is the one where Woody becomes, like, fully delusional. And, and sure. after yeah. being Which the leader for two too. movies, yeah. right, that he just won't accept it. Because yeah. he really yeah. was in that relationship with Andy. Right. And he really, it really is ending for him. And it really does feel like that's a really good I, I don't know yeah. where I'm going to go. Right. And that's why, I mean, you know, I think Toy Story 3 is obviously about death and obviously yeah. about, like, second chances. And religion every, as well. Every, every I, birth. Yeah. Right, right. But it's also to me about, like, yeah. And which is what I think Toy Story 2 is, the Jesse storyline. It's also to me about. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Moving on and finding, like, love again, which is why I'm so – I mean, like, I'm like you when it comes to Toy Story 4. Like, my expectations are 
incredibly sky high. And I've I'm over- nervous. And I said, like, I'm, I said I'm very over- nervous. I'm very guarded. I've been trying to prepare myself the way my father told me to for Toy Story <laughs> 2, being like, you just have to accept that there will be a Toy Story movie you don't like in the world that you think is like marginal. Lately, it's I've been source. going deep into – that's a good poll. Uh, <laughs> right? I think Party Source is the lowest of the sh- – Hawaiian Vacation I would put below Party yes, Source. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, short fries, obviously the peak. Yeah. And Toy Story <laughs> Terror also rules. Yeah, that's legitimate. <laughs> yes, yeah, I agree with you. Um, I'll watch that when I get home. But. I, I found a really good deep shit Toy Story fan blog. Oh boy, uh, where she has just been sourcing every little tiny leak that's come out, and I've started piecing together story things in my mind that have started to make me cautiously very excited for the Is movie. it the Bo really? Peep stuff? The Bo Peep stuff, I, now that there are little drips and drabs coming out, seems really interesting to me. Me too. Because that depressed me in Toy Story 3 that they're just like... Yeah, they just threw her away. Her. It's like... Yeah, they totally yeah. fridged her. It's, it's crazy to me. But like... And, and I had always forgotten how... It wasn't really that she was integral to the plot of Toy Story 2. It really wasn't that, but she was kind of a Woody's secondary emotional She's anchor. She's an emotional anchor. She, yeah. yeah, she very much is. And I, he just kind of moved on, and I never bought it. Right, and you have that sort of moment in 3 where he goes like, yeah, and Bo. Yeah. Uh, right. I, so I, I don't want to get into which is I, the, Which I mean, is a Zerg moment for me. Sure, you know, sure. like yes. yeah, right. Can I just say though, she was supposed to be Barbie, correct? Bo Peep, correct. And they couldn't, and Mattel just didn't want to give them. And then when they saw how big it was, Barbie's like yeah. a big part of the mm-hmm. of the second one, and a funny part of it. I thought the whole Barbie stuff in in Toy Story two was actually quite well done for the most part. I agree, and in three, yeah. I think she's even better. Yeah, yeah. as is Ken. They're incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're awesome. Yeah, uh, but it, but it works better because it's Bo Peep. I'll say that. I'll say this. This is what I'm starting to tap into. A lot of speculation on my part. But what I what I think for is circling around is uh, Bo Peep is literally a porcelain doll in a world that abandoned her without her support system. I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. And someone who's had to survive 20 years on her own. Oh, wow. Because the thing that this blog's been picking oh, up wow. on is all these <laughs> merchandise leaks with the key art of the characters. Yeah. And Bo Peep has been sort of redesigned as this, like... A uh, person who's had to figure out how to exist in a world that is made to destroy her. Shit. I mean, listen, I'm. I think I'm we there. might be seeing I'm Sarah excited. Connor Bo Peep is what I'm saying, and <laughs> yeah. not in the surface sort that of parody way. Amazing. I, yeah, as, as you're describing the I'm Bo trying. Peep that's yeah. had to learn how to become a survivor yeah. when everyone who said they loved her, oh, wow. just forgot and moved on and had a Toy Story three. So without she's hardened, her. Oh. literally, literally. <laughs> now, if that's what the movie's actually doing, I'm fully back on board. <laughs> But I might that just be grasping at straws. That sounds incredible. Right? But, but can I, I – who, who read the script and said it? I mean I think it was Tim Allen, so, you know, great assault. But yeah. didn't he say it was like the greatest script he's ever read? I mean yeah. Tim – and also Tom Hanks said when he was recording some it of it, couldn't he couldn't look, look at, at them. Right. Yeah. I mean all of them are sa- – and that scares me a little because I feel like they're they're just selling. Because that was like the thing that propelled three so much. is like you're not going to believe how much you cry. Like that becomes this like Pixar thing now where I it's can't like, believe how much I cry. It's so fucking sad. <laughs> I was – which I cried, I cried like a baby. I mean, I cried yeah. for 30 yeah. minutes straight. <laughs> I truly cried for the last 30 minutes straight. I saw it 10 times in theaters. Oh, I cried so every God, single time. I also want to say, and maybe I'm, I'm not great with twists as Kenny can. I don't, uh-huh. I don't see them coming. Yeah. 
I thought they were gonna die. Oh, so did like I, I thought they yeah. were melting them down at the end. I right. forgot about the gr- the Green Little Aliens. Like I yeah. completely forgot that. They, and when oh, they showed oh, up on the rewatch, or no, oh, no, oh, I'm sorry. in the theater. In the theater, so right. they misdirect you enough com- that you enough lose that track I completely of them. forgot. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, yeah, this is the end of the trilogy. They're gonna melt them down. We're gonna see yeah. their faces melt like the end of Raiders, and that's just how it's gonna go. Well, and what kills I, me is that for me, it's actually. Uh, uh, them dying would be less emotionally impactful to me than the moment where they all accept their death. <laughs> when they hold uh, each other's hands. That's the thing yeah. that fucking destroys me. Yeah. When they all yeah. look at each other and yeah. Woody realizes he can't make excuses anymore <laughs> and they just have to rely on each other. Because at the end of the day, what these Toy Story movies are about is that the only currency that actually matters is the relationships we have in our life. Yeah. The value you have to other people and not letting pettiness, your own insecurities, your social status, your career override those things. And Toy Story 2 is these guys being like, fuck, are my kids growing up not knowing me? Because I want to make movies that make kids happy. You know? Like these guys are just – like John Lasseter's like I had like four children in between Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2 and I had like not slept. I made three movies in a row. And for all his failings as a person, this movie is literally like a dad reckoning with, like, are my kids just going to be like, yeah, that's like the dude who paid for my education. Oh. You know? <laughs> this a... movie's become so much more depressing. No, it's not In depressing. a good, it's, in the it's, best it's, possible it, it, way. It's cathartic. But there's – so the, the hint of that moment, because that's my favorite moment maybe in Pixar history. That's mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments in movie history, the holding onto the hands, yeah. the yeah. accepting thing, the, yeah. the okay, we're going to die, but at least we're with dad. Right. Right? Um, yeah. which is like a terrible way to die, but that is how I would want to die. Yeah. Like I always kind of like that moment of deep impact when Taya Leone standing. Hugs her dad and the. It's just yeah, yeah, like okay, if you're gonna go, like there are worse ways, I guess. Yeah. This movie's inciting incident is Woody's heroism to save the least consequential toy in the entire lot. I'm getting shivers. Yeah, yeah, you got Wheezy up there. Been Wheezy. up there for some amount of time. He's been written off. He's been written off. And Everyone's he, already said Wheezy lost cause. And I would have, and even watching this, I haven't seen this movie in a very long time. Yeah. For some reason, like, this is not a movie my kids rewatch. Yeah. One and three are. So, that's probably on me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I had kind of been like, okay, so, so Woody, so, so Wheezy is the, um, is the casualty of this movie. Right. Right. And there are usually casualties of these movies. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like Bo Peep is the casualty of three. Like and the the fact that Woody is willing to risk his life right. for this. For Wheezy. No offense to Wheezy. This nobody. Yeah. Is so beautiful. But yeah. it's because he sees himself in Wheezy too. No, it's because he's dad. It's because I think it's both. It's all yeah. yeah. I think he's he's on the shelf yeah. when yeah, he sees Wheezy. And he's like this guy, we're in this together. You're not going down. Well, for the I'm first time, down. he understands the wheezy complex. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think he was a guy who was always yeah. like, yeah, sad about what happened to Wheezy. Yeah. You know, we lost track of that guy. Yeah. 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 But like at the end of the day, like he can't actually figure out. He's already come through his arc of accepting maybe I'm not the only toy. Yeah. But I think he's never considered of is what if I'm not a toy at all? What if Andy doesn't give me any attention, let alone all the attention? So now for the first time, he's like, oh, fuck, this is a fate worse than death. I cannot, like, you know, he's saving himself because he has to believe that someone would do the same for him in that position. Because otherwise he has nothing to believe in anymore. You know, I mean, they're sort of like their their commitment to this almighty God as Andy. But he's also, as you said, just like your lover. Like you want to believe that like your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband would do the same thing for you. And Wheezy is this incredible balancing act where it's like it's somehow a parody 
of that type of character in a serious movie, but it also works emotionally. Like they set it up as the old timer thing and like the, the, you know, oh, oh, the, the squeeze box, you know, it's broken, all that sort of stuff. And it's like the audience is laughing. I'm like, I recognize this trope. He's the old timer. You know, he's the one who can't run yeah, anymore, whatever yeah. it is. But then it also like gets you. There's also, I mean, you bring up the the religious elements, which I really didn't think about, like Andy being a godlike figure for yeah. them, which he very much is. I mean, and then when he does save Wheezy, he says to, doesn't he say, bless you, Woody, or something yes. like that? Yeah. When he when yeah. he puts him under Buster's uh, yeah. collar. Like, it's just, it's... I don't know. There's it, it, it is a it's a beautiful movie yeah. about people looking out for each other in a way that I think is really interesting. Something else I wanted to bring up earlier that that occurred to me um, is that these Pixar films make it clear to kids that it's okay to be sad. Yeah, like which is so vitally important big, that you can't big, big. be happy all yeah. the time. Inside Out maybe the most explicitly. Yeah. But especially in this where you're like, it's okay to be depressed sometimes. Like that's – life is a it's roller important. coaster. And that's what kills it's important. me is that this movie is Woody accepting yeah. that things are sad and that they're not going to be good forever. Yeah. Like that's huge in a kid's movie. That's a crazy thing to throw out <laughs> yeah. it, it really is. That's a very complicated thing. But it's like revolutionary. Kids, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it really it is. is. And like I, I uh, uh, just came back from Disneyland, humble brag. And uh, the thing I was so taken by was uh, uh, I went there with my girlfriend, Della Humblebrag, <laughs> and she had never been to Disneyland. And we were going on all the old uh, like story dark rides, which I love. Me I too. just love the aesthetics and yeah. the sort of storytelling style of all those rides that were just we're telling you the narrative of the movie. You're going through in the slow moving cart scene by scene. And the thing that's crazy is. All of those rides choose to, because they have to greatly condense the plot, yeah. only focus on the most disturbing elements of the movie. Yeah. Like, like it's literally called Snow White Scary Adventures. And <laughs> save for the first room you go through where it's Snow White and the dwarves, the rest of it is just the witch. You know? There's a poo ride that's more recent that's just his, like, heffalump nightmares. <laughs> Mr. Toad's Wild Ride oh. is just about his alcoholism. <laughs> you know? Did you go on the Roger Rabbit ride? We didn't get to go on that. Have you ever been on it? I have, yes. So scary. They all focus on... You're a tune who's going to get dipped. Yes. They, all of those rides focus <laughs> on the darkest elements of the character psyche. Like, they focus on the fear. Why do you think that is? Because I think Walt Disney understood. I don't think he was comfortable with the same level of sadness because he would do the, you know, the parent gets killed at the beginning. You start out, but you get the happily ever after at the end. I think he understood it's also important for kids to be scared. Mm. You, got, you got to scare kids. And mm. I think Pixar, the way they evolved that was you also have to let kids know it's okay to be sad. You got to look into it, the we, abyss that every things, now and You then. have to make concessions yeah. in life. Things don't yeah. end up perfectly for everyone. Yeah. And the growth is learning to accept what your reality is. And good, it's amazing. Good, I mean for some extent, you know, Walt, Walt Disney being Walt Disney and having his issues. Good on him for understanding that. Yeah. But it's – it, it's a lot less brave. I mean, to I some extent, like, you know, my son's more wants, binary, too. And, and yeah, he undercuts yeah. it by they always defeat the bad guy and the ending is super happy. My, my son yeah. once said, and, you know, this is a bit of a humble break, too. Um, <laughs> he likes scary movies. And I asked him why. And he said, because they make me brave. Which is, it was very simple. That's, that's, that's very great. profound. It, it was, yeah. and, and I never, it never even occurred to me, but that's the answer, right? Yeah, the answer right. is just dealing with this scary stuff getting it over getting over right. in the context of a safe space and moving forward it never occurred to me as a storyteller as a story watcher yeah. the importance of sadness this is embarrassing because i had been doing it for a long time <laughs> until i watched inside out yeah inside out put it in front of you plainly and i really 
I have such great appreciation for doing that for me as a storyteller and as a parent and as a person. Yeah. It's important to explain to your kids that it's okay to feel your emotions. And to your point, no one, no one anywhere had done that. Forget children's movies. Yeah. I can't think of a movie. That, that summed up the entire phenomenon better than I had ever seen it summed up in any medium or any form by any person. Right. Where I was just like, oh, it, it, we fundamentally need to be sad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and there's the moment I saw, I saw that movie with my friend Jess Lane. And the moment where uh, Joy, like, puts the chalk circle around sadness and oh. goes like, so this is your circle, just stay here. She went, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I went, what? And she went, oh, Jesus Christ, that's what this movie's, oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah. And it wasn't like she was angry, but she was like, oh, fuck, now I know what the next 90 minutes of my life is going to be. Because yeah. she just immediately got what they were doing yeah. and was like, oh, fuck, that is heavy. It's, and it's perfectly distilled, though. Like, it's – it's for for a child to be able to understand it yeah. as well. But I don't know, a grown-up, too. That's what – so to this point – all right, so the Toy Story thing and the Inside Out thing. Because, yeah. you know, we're – I don't know if anyone told you, Griffin, we're planning on doing our top five picks. Are we just assumed you had them at the ready? Yeah, it shifts constantly, but I could rattle them you off at throw this them moment. Off. Yeah. Um, for Toy Story, the quote you read about Roger Ebert in the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About the nature of having a toy. Yeah. yeah. I had a toy when I was when I was growing up called Soldier, and Soldier went with me everywhere. Mm-hmm. And when what, I stopped, was it a soldier? It was a little plush soldier. Okay. I mean, it was you I'm know making sure. Yeah, it was yeah. a little plush soldier. And um, plush soldier is interesting. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> It was kind. It was kind of knit. Like there was nothing like. Wow. Yeah. There was nothing, kind of factory line about this. Thing. Sure. Yeah. Not that that makes me cool. That I had some like you know. Yeah, I love yeah. that you called it soldier because I had a bear that I called bear. bear. Yeah. I don't. It's just there's something very I don't yeah. know, very nice about that idea. So, yeah. So the soldier I had went, big dog and little dog. Sure. 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 <laughs> so soldier over the everywhere and 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 one I I lost soldier at a hotel once and it yeah. was devastating and. The hotel actually sent it back, which was, you know, re- oh, wow. re- being reunited. Right. And then not having Soldier anymore really broke my heart. I never considered that anybody else in the world had that relationship with a toy. I think that's why the first time I saw that trailer, it hit me so profoundly. The like, this is my movie. Yeah. Where it's like, this is what I'm thinking about all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then this movie, too, does such a good job of just being like, there is so much meat on this bone. Yeah. And it does so much, like, really smart, like, if this, then that, you know? And just deepens the whole notion, the, the sort of existential reality of these characters and all these new ideas. I mean, th- from both directions, like, yeah. you know, uh, going, what are other phenomenons that happen to a toy? Being broken, never leaving the packaging. You know, what are conditions? What are places toys can come from? Yeah. What are places and, they go? Right, right. And how, how do all these you know, different relationships formed them. I mean, the the Jesse thing is, like, so upsetting when you start engaging with it because you just go, like, oh, fuck, she was, like, in a box for, like, decades? Like, like She was a toy decades. from the 50s, right? 50s or right, 60s. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I have done that to my toys. Yeah. Like, it's, I have so many toys, and I don't have them anymore because they've probably been incinerated that, <laughs> that I have done that to. Yeah, yeah, Here's right. a question yeah. for you. Yeah. How do you feel about the Emily theory? Have you read about the fact that, that the it's Andy's mom, mom? Is it a little? I think it's a little too neat. I think so too. I but, don't think that was intended by them at all. I okay. think it's too neat. I didn't I, think so either. But I, I mean, weirdly, like people just love these fucking thick Pixar theories. It's so weird. Some of them are really weird. The Andy's really dad weird. thing is really weird. Oh, but I yeah. think that's true. That the the divorce that they were. No, there's a theory about that. The dad. I'm sure you've heard yeah, about this. Maybe, the dad maybe, died, maybe this and there's theory. a whole weird. 
Do you want to explain the, it in the, more the detail? Dad had polio, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. Creed and Woody's actually a one-of-a-kind toy that right he, that they never produced bizarre. it. And it was a prototype he won in a contest. You got to really like, want it. All the, that's <laughs> right. a bad theory. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I you do, gotta it, really want it. It is to me. I mean, it's obvious. I think it's. I think it's text that he's the child of divorce for and, sure. She's yeah, a single I, mom I, for and, sure. And yeah. there is this inference you get where it's just like that. That was his dad's toy. Yeah. You know, even yeah. before you get to two and they make it clear, like, oh, it's that old, when now clearly this must have been a hand-me-down. Yeah. Even in one, you're just like, this feels like this doll is a connection to his father who's not there anymore. Yeah, this is now the main male figure in his life. Is this idea of Sheriff Woody protecting the town, looking out for everyone around him. Yeah. You know, this idea of him being the leader of the room, yeah. which then he also literally is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. – it's, it's, we should probably talk about the plot. So who do – just one, one last Sorry. Thing. If that's all true, which I think it is. Yeah. Who, does that make Buzz like the cool stepdad? Is Buzz like – is Buzz like uh, cool? I mean is he is he Will Ferrell in, in Daddy's Home? Well, no. I think you're saying in your metaphor he's Mark Wahlberg in Daddy's Home. <laughs> well, Mark Wahlberg home. is oh, the you're original right, right. dad. <sighs> but <laughs> you, you – Maybe he's John it Cena. It doesn't work perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, it doesn't work perfectly yeah. because the cool one, yes, he's John Cena. John Cena who yeah. would play Buzz Lightyear in live action. Absolutely. Voice, absolutely. Yeah. He's built I, like Buzz yeah. Lightyear. I, yeah. I, 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 see, I see looking at the whole trilogy or the, the yeah. whole franchise through Woody's lens, which is clearly what they're doing, whatever. But I always can relate to Buzz Lightyear's um, reckoning with you know, the world of Zerg, the world of, of you know, Space Captain Buzz right. Lightyear is not real. But this is real. I'm accepting uh-huh. this and fitting in really well. I don't know. I, I, I do hope we put some time to talk about Buzz. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 we'll bake in a lot of the stuff as we get through the plot, yeah. as you yeah. know. I mean, as but, you said, the, just the conceit of how, like, you know, they said, okay, we have this character who's so much fun in the first movie in his delusion. Yeah. You know, this idea of and, – and you hear all the casting choices they had before. And there's the animated, like, reels you can see where it was, like, Billy Crystal – and they thought it was like a comedian, you know, yeah. doing their shtick. Yeah. And the Tim Allen casting choice, which is like, he's not my favorite guy. No. He was after this movie briefly, yeah. you sure, know? Sure. But like now I'm not like some Tim uh, Tim Allen acolyte. Uh, and, <laughs> he did and, have a big year in 99, Galaxy Quest and Toy Story 2. I mean, kills it in both kind of, of them. Kind of him at his peak. Yeah, agreed. I mean, his two best performances. Yeah. <laughs> but like this isn't the performance that you would think casting the home improvement guy would give you. I agree. And it's surprising that he plays it so straight that he doesn't play it like a comedian. He plays it like an action star, you know? Well, that's that's key. Key. I right. mean, He's doing you, his it, kind of Shatner Yeah, thing. exactly. Right. Which, you know, it's funny. We So um, a couple weeks ago we did uh, Bicentennial Man with uh-huh. uh, Todd Vanderwerf and, yeah. and his wife Libby. And the great Todd. The great Libby. The great Todd. The great Libby. Yeah. Uh, and Tim Allen was apparently in the conversation to play Well, Disney that was like all in on him at this like, point. Yeah. I imagine he would have played it like Buzz Lightyear. Like yes. that's that's how I imagine he would have played it. It would have been a better movie actually. Like it just <laughs> – yeah. Not to I, read like, – that, That's kind that's of a nightmare movie. Oh, it's a total nightmare movie. It just – I don't know. There's – Again, not to relitigate it. He was in a weird place in his career where he yeah. really was trying to win an Oscar. And that movie yeah. shouldn't have been anywhere near an Oscar conversation. If there yeah. was someone who's bringing a little more Santa Claus to it. I just think that the that Tim Allen lane is pretty narrow. Yeah. And and listen, he's good at what he does. And, and look, Galaxy Quest but, is the same thing. It's yeah. like he's weirdly – when he becomes the like blue-collar, like grunt-grunt man-man yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah. you kind of go like, I, I got a lot of this. I get my yeah. fill really quickly. Yeah. But when he's kind of commenting on it and he's playing these like – 
innately kind of broken lost people with the facade of the confidence. He's he's really good. He's also really good in Red Belt, the Mammoth movie. Oh, I never saw that. Which Mammoth is like obsessed with Galaxy Quest. Sure. He's like it's one of the five best screenplays ever written. He's he's always like it's like you know, it's like Twelve Angry Men, A Place in the Sun, Galaxy Quest. (laughs) (laughs) These are the perfect movies. That's fantastic. And he like It is a it is a great movie. It's a oh, it's an incredible movie. But but he kind of got that that's that's the Tim Allen lane where he's really valuable. And they said they cast him because he was like the big sitcom guy at yeah. the moment, did, not expecting that he would play the character that way, that it would be that much of, like, the sort of the army guy, you know? There's a metatextualism to the way that he approaches it. Yes. To your point where he's, like, he, he – which is not something he does no. a lot, but but he does it incredibly well here. And I think Tom Hanks is doing it as well with Woody. Like, I think that there's an acknowledgement of the layers of these characters and what they're a commentary on. Right. Like, I think Tom Hanks understands that he, you know, that he's, that he's doing, and forgive me, what is the, uh, the character, the kid's character? Oh, howdy doody. Howdy doody. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's sort of what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and you have to also wonder on the Katzenberg side, if he was instrumental in getting Tom Hanks as my, is I, I would just imagine that Tom Hanks couldn't have been easy to get in this. He's never done anything like this before. Yeah. Um, and I think he, my assessment, and again, obviously, yeah. I'll never know, but or maybe never know, but Tom Hanks approaches this role to be able to do things that he doesn't necessarily want to do in live action anymore. And I think it's also the same thing with Tim Allen, where it's like, yeah. this is a role that he couldn't play physically. Yes. Yes. But it's yes. also, it's, it's just one other little point on that. Yeah. This was a lane that didn't exist. Yeah. So right. you look at Disney, like, you had some people in the Lion King. Yeah. But no one of Tom Hanks's caliber. No. Well, and and they tell the stories like he always said in interviews, they offered him the part and he said like absolutely not. I don't sing. <laughs> you know and that was the immediate yeah. thought and they had to yeah. explain to him it's not a musical. So I think yeah. that alone probably makes him lean in. Yeah. And they had done this thing which then they popularized of like let's take a, an audio clip from one of their films and animate it. And he saw, I think, how much they were adding performance-wise. You know, I mean, Tim Allen tells the story about seeing Toy Story 1 in the theater, and there's the scene when um, they're trapped under the, the milk crate yep. in Sid's room, and Woody tries to give the motivational speech, and now it's a Buzz who now realizes he's a toy and is having an existential crisis and realizes he has no value in the world, or thinks that he has no value in the world if he's not actually a space ranger. And Woody gives the speech where he's like, you're Buzz Lightyear, the the coolest toy in the world. And it's just Buzz's reaction shots as he's sort of processing it. And Tim Allen says he sat there at the premiere and went, God, I'm good in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And then realized that the character has no dialogue in the scene. Uh, But but I think the performances are so linked in this. And I think Toy Story 2 in particular, part of I think the mad dash to make this movie, how overworked everyone is – the character animation in this is really weird. Like, the characters are very manic, and they also just kind of feel like they're going insane. I mean, that first— They've been in boxes for 50 right, years. I mean, the first moment with Jesse, yeah. I just think it's some of the best character animation in the history of of the medium, uh, where uh, you have that sort of mad dash of Woody in the room— Bullseye giving him the mad run. Yeah. And then Jesse does that, like, super manic, like, wait, the prospector, he'll want to meet you. And she's sort of, like, <laughs> so whipping good. him around, you know? Yes. And then there's the bit where they play out yeah. Woody's roundup and so Woody good. does his, like, yeah. fake, you know, sort of movie star John That's Wayne fantastic. walk and yeah. all that sort of stuff. 
Ugh. It's just like they totally abandoned all rules of how animated performances were supposed to work, which were often mostly based in cuteness or pretty. Yeah, like even just even the prospectors first turn me around so I can see. Him. Yeah. And you're just like it's it, there's there is this there's a weight in this film. And, and literally that... I just remember in that first scene being so taken by his mouth posture. Yes. yes. You know, you're like I mean the juxtaposition of here's this character who's, like, the, this, like, old fool, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so funny when you finally watch the clip of a thing. Yep. And you're like, oh, he's, like, uh, why am I not thinking of, of the guy's name? But the, the uh, he's, like, a Walter Brennan, like, uh-huh. oh, God, oh, no! <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that he's this, like, very serious Shakespearean yeah. sort of dude. There's also the line when they say, um, you're out of your box. Yeah. Like, that, that's, the like, you've gone crazy in some way right. that you're out right. of your box, yeah. but which everyone is, is out of their box. Which is what has ha- happened to him yeah. to yeah. some extent. Yeah, yeah right. I think about the line you're talking about, you know, the prospector making the argument for yes. why being in Japan is a good yeah. idea. Prospector's never felt what any of these characters have felt. No. He's no. never felt love. love. Oh, he's he, like a sociopath. I yeah. mean, he's like, yeah. he's had to tell it's himself that it's just about his career. Yeah. Because yeah. he's never had a good relationship in his life. You know, whereas yeah. Woody is like debating, you know, in the same way that like Jesse is where it's like, I've like loved and lost before. Like, I don't know if I can go through that again. Just yeah. having like a, a, a guarantee that people are going to love you on a minute to minute basis is better for me than the idea of, like, you might get five great years. You know, I'd rather have, like, a hundred okay ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, fair. like, why, yeah. you know, in this business, I think a lot of us have seen these people where it's just like, oh, that's, like, your whole modus operandi is, yeah. like, can you make stuff that makes people cheer when you come out on stage? You know, and they prioritize that above everything yeah. else. And it's like, that's a fucking drug. Yeah. And that's you, a void you you'll never, never get your fix. Yeah, 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 but yeah, the, yeah. You will yeah. never get your fix. The, the, yeah. the, the depressing aspect of the prospector is he didn't make a choice. No, he didn't make a choice. He didn't make yeah. a choice. Right. He's like that Jet Li character in that movie where he's made to be a dog. Remember with Bob Hoskins? Uh, yeah, Unleashed. Uh, Unleashed. Yes. yes. I, did, like, that always, I never saw that movie. I never saw that but movie. But I saw that trailer, and I can't watch a movie like that. But I saw that trailer, and that got to me right. so much. This idea of – look, Edward Scissorhands is kind of like this too – um, this idea that someone was created for yeah, a certain purpose, purpose that has nothing to do with what it means to live a life. Well, yeah. and when we talk about those people who we all know yes. <laughs> who can't fill that void and are constantly obsessively seeking for it, most of them you're just like, yeah, my, like, my parents never got me. You know, it wasn't even yeah. like, oh, I grew up in an abusive household. Yeah. I grew oh, up yeah. just kind of neglected. Yeah. And that's sort of the prospector's thing where it's just like, I don't, this is like a cruel world. Yeah. No, one, no one's out there for you, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 he's very nihilistic. I mean, there's yeah. no question. He just seems sort of he's kind of got a one track mind. You also would imagine too, you know, this is this has been the end goal for a long time, right? Like right. Woody coming into this equation is the final piece of the puzzle, right? So yeah. how long they've been, he's been putting together Wayne Knight has been putting together this group of toys. It's a very long time, and he's just like, we're fucking going to Japan, and I don't give a shit what it takes to get there. Right, and and to a degree, I mean, this is going to be sweaty, but, but you know, Prospector is kind of like one of these, you know, red pill guys who tries to win the argument through, like, intellectual clarity. Right. You know, like, you're letting emotions get in the way. Right. We're human beings. We're not supposed to be monogamous. You know, women are subservient. Like, he's making that kind of argument, which is just like, kids aren't a thing. Yeah. You shouldn't be going after kids. That's that's not the name of the game. 
<laughs> you know? And that's yeah. why he's got this whole air of pretension around him. Kelsey Grammer's such smart casting. Oh, it's incredible casting. Because it is that thing of just, like, Kelsey Grammer is always creepy. You know? Yeah. And even when, like, it's so weird that he became such a beloved sitcom star because Frasier is so fucking prickly. So is such an asshole. <laughs> it's so is weird. so unpleasant and yeah. is so condescending and elitist. Yeah. And they're just like, we're just going to make him the villain finally. We're finally yeah. going to make Kelsey yeah. Grammer. And you fall for it because you're like, oh, it's the Kelsey Grammer type. It's this elitist kind of cold guy. But, of course, we're supposed to love him. Yeah. And then when the movie gives you the twist, you're like, well, I didn't yeah, of course. sniff yeah. it out because yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was the archetype we were going <laughs> Well, with. I mean, the, the Kelsey Grammer – God, I love this podcast. The Kelsey Grammer <laughs> thing is so great because Kelsey Grammer walks into Cheers a Broken Man. Right. So he's already the he, – he's yeah. he spent the whole life right. being that asshole, being the guy in Goodwill hunting Bob. Right. You know, talking down to all the townies. Right. But we he's already been broken down. They give him like a four-episode arc as the conflict. Like he's literally just there to be the competition. Yeah. And then because they like him so much, they want him on the show. But the only way to justify him being on the show is he's broken now. Yeah. Like and- he is – fundamentally broken by this relationship and now he can't leave this fucking bar where the woman who left him at the altar serving drinks with <laughs> the man who she left him for and he wants to sit there all it's the incredible. time it's incredible right and then even when he finds like you know his new like love in his life when he finds lilith he's like cool we're gonna hang out at this bar all the time i'm bringing you to this bar where i'm constantly faced with my own rejection what was probably the greatest failure in my life and there it's is that amazing. seething resentment in him. So you take that character, which we all know. I mean, which we, which we've all come to kind of trust. Right. I have a superior extent. intellect. You don't there's, understand. Yeah. There's also a modulation to Kelsey Grammer's voice. Mm-hmm. He can be quite soft and quite soothing. Yeah. And then he turns it, and you're like, "Oh, you're a fucking sociopath." That's that's that like you know like oh like Kelsey Grammer is like a theatrically trained guy. Yeah, like yeah, this yeah. is like yeah. you know a guy who thought he was going to be on the stage and not be a leading man in like TV or movies. You know. Well, that's the side. And he just Bob, he's yeah. got such control yeah. over his voice yeah, as an instrument. Bob, yeah. So there's yeah. the sideshow Bob of it to me yeah. was always like. Same with Frasier. Like, right. if you give this – like, it's, it's almost like Frasier, you know, kind of scary black version. Yeah. Um, dark version? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. <laughs> you get what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, um, if, Good clarification. You, <laughs> well, just let that be. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 Put it out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, raw, yeah. you know, this yeah. is just me. Um, if if you give this guy an inch, if you give this guy a mile, yeah. you don't know what he's going to take. And not to – I bring it back to Trump every episode. But there, there was a period – I mean I can't help myself. Yeah. But there was a period of time when he was doing The Apprentice when everyone was like, yeah, he's not so bad. He's not so bad. Let's, let's let him around parties. Let's have him stick with Megan Mullally at the fucking Emmys. Right. Like he's part of this team now because he's yeah. been beaten down. He's had his bankruptcies. Right. He's kind of relatable now. He's kind of adorable now. Keep him around. We're all in this on is, the joke, I guess. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and he's kind of in too was kind right. of the idea. I mean the, the Megan Mullally thing at the, at the Emmys was a perfect example of like Trump has been humbled. He's allowed. He's allowed to hang out in this role, and look what happens. And I think that's this. Kelsey Everyone Grammer treated thing. him like he was Frazier rather than like Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, like yeah. they got so into the idea of the character now that he was recontextualized as like, oh, he's like a parody of a rich person. Yeah, a parody of an intellectual person. Right, and it's yeah. like at that point, it's like having like like Bart Simpson present at the Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Which I think is happening. You're like, oh, it's like a cool sure. technical trick that they're yeah. doing the character yeah. live. Yeah. You know? It's amazing. So, that's the end of part one of our episode on Toy Story 2 with Griffin Newman. Um, we hope you're enjoying it so far. Yeah, we know you are. 
Um, <laughs> in, uh, in part two, uh, we continue this discussion, obviously. We talk get about more into f- plot. More into plot. We yeah. talk about a favorite Probably Pixar get movies. to the actual plot, I imagine. And then we do, that's my dog. And then we do um, 20 to 30 minutes on the Oscars. We actually do that. Yeah. So, in 99, and, and... And then we talk about other episodes that Griffin might come on for. We do a lot of great stuff. We do stuff. a lot of stuff. It's, it's, it's so it's, much it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag of greatness. And as I alluded to at the end of the last podcast, the blank check episode... <laughs> the big where, 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 where maybe saying Griffin Newman is an American treasure <laughs> is the episode they did on... Uh, on uh, Allie Meyer Shire's classic Home Again. Classic. A movie I... Absolutely adore, and Phil thinks not good. I mean, it's got some stuff. And in the there, guys loved for all the reasons I love it, and also <laughs> movies insane. I, I happen to know a lot about the making of that movie. I will not divulge why. And Griffin nailed specific things <laughs> about what the inspirations for certain characters were that were almost uncanny to me because they were not obvious, but they were perfect. So um, that was fun. Part two's great. Part two's great. We love you, Griffin. We like you, Blankies, who are just checking us out. Please come back, <laughs> Please come back. for part two. Please come back for part two. Um, I'm at PM Iscove on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Podcast Like 1999 on Twitter. Kenny is at Nybart. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, and uh, please come back for part two next week. Griffin is at Griff Lightning, as yeah. you know. Yes. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Podcast Like. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.